Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. We're looking at Genesis chapter 50. Today is the day that we're going to finish our series in the gospel according to Joseph. So Genesis 50, we'll start in verse 15. Uh, while you've turned there, I want to tell you a story. It was the year 1941. Zineda was a woman living in the Ukraine. If you know what was happening in about 1941 in Ukraine, then you would know that the Nazis were getting closer and closer to fully invading Ukraine. In fact, uh, there were air raids that weren't uncommon uh, uh, in, in her part of the Ukraine. No matter, she tried to just uh, do her normal life. She found herself, like she did on many days, sitting there next to her window, working on her sewing machine, when all of a sudden, she heard a loud whistling noise. The next thing she knew, she was waking up, crossed the room, she looked up, she saw a big hole in her ceiling, big hole in her floor, and her sewing machine was totally gone. Um, she went over and looked in the hole, there's an, a bomb there, so she calls the official, she says, hey, you need to send somebody over here because I, like, there's a bomb in my house right here. And nobody listened to her. They're like, whatever, like, come on, you're, 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 you're crazy. You, you, surely you are mistaken. No explosions happened. This is all in your head. So she did what anyone would do. She repaired the roof and she took her bed that was on one side of the room and she pushed it over the big hole where the bomb was, the other side of her room. And she slept over that bomb in the hole in the floor for the next 40 years. One day, the cable company, I'm sorry, not cable, the telephone company comes to lay some cable, and you know, they need to have access to under her, uh, her room to do that, and they see, well, an unexploded Nazi bomb. So what do they do? They call the bomb squad, and she tells the story this way, an, ar an army lieutenant uh, walks into her apartment with his chest held high and kind of uh, grinning to himself, very nonchalantly says something like, okay, grandma, where's the bomb? I bet it's under your bed over there, isn't it? And she's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's under the bed over there. And sure enough, he goes and checks, and that is where he found a 500-pound, undetonated Nazi bomb. This passage this morning requires that we are really honest with ourselves. It tells us that actually all of us have a 500-pound undetonated bomb in our lives called bitterness. It got there because people that we trusted, parents, friends, family members, romantic partners, colleagues, bosses, those people have hurt us. 
They've hurt us. And there has been this bitterness bomb that has been growing in our lives and that is terribly dangerous unless we will diffuse it. And this morning in the story of Joseph, we learn how. How do you diffuse a 500-pound bitterness bomb? The answer, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness means that we learn how to say no to grudges. We, know, we learn how to say no to control. And that we learn how to say yes to God's grace. So I want you to listen to that or for that as I read this passage. Um, just to give you an idea of the setting, this is just after Jacob has died. So I'm going to read Genesis uh, chapter 50, starting in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, uh, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you were to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children and he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also, the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Let's pray. Lord, uh, right now in our lives, there is bitterness. And Lord, you know the power that that bitterness would have over us, that it would plug the ears of our hearts so that we would not hear this message of forgiveness. And we would ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would unstop the ears of our hearts and that we would hear the sweet message of forgiveness through Jesus in these next few minutes. And that you would even change us and help us to be a people of forgiveness. Would you please do this, Lord? We need you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you want to disarm the 500-pound bitterness bomb in your life? If so, then you've got to forgive, which means saying no to grudges. It's really easy to hold a grudge, isn't it? I mean, some of us are really, really good at holding grudges. We've been holding grudges ever since we can remember against people who have hurt us. You know, the brothers here in the passage they thought to themselves, we're in big trouble. 
uh, now that their dad, Jacob, has died, Joseph is going to finally show his true colors and have us all punished. Verse 15, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all of the wrongs that we did to him? They're thinking to themselves, maybe Joseph is like we are. Maybe Joseph has been sleeping on this 500-pound bitterness bomb. We expect that thing to explode any minute now that he doesn't have to make Jacob happy anymore. And so you see them strategize. They mastermind this plan to try and defuse the bomb. They send in the bomb squad. Actually, they pick a mediator, an intermediary, to to deliver a message to Joseph. That message goes like this. Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. They're saying, Joseph, dad is speaking from the grave. And do you know what he's saying? Promise that you won't harm your brothers. Promise that you'll forgive them. Do you believe that Jacob really said that as he was dying? I don't. I mean, I could be wrong. Some, some experts think that maybe, maybe Jacob actually said that, but, but I don't think Jacob actually said that. I think these guys are making it up regardless. As soon as Joseph receives the message from the intermediary, it hits him like a ton of bricks, and he breaks down and weeps. That moment, Joseph weeping, teaches us two really important lessons about forgiveness. First, Joseph had forgiven his brothers, right? Like, that's the result of this story. Um, When he had forgiven them, or we thought he had forgiven them back, what, 17 years before, he had actually done it. But that doesn't mean that their actions 39 years before don't still hurt. Did you hear me? Sometimes when you've been hurt, even after you have been forgiving the person, years and years, a generation or two later, it can still hurt. Forgiveness takes time. Forgiveness takes time. Sometimes when I speak with Christians who have been really, really hurt, maybe a spouse has walked out on the family or there's been betrayal or infidelity or abuse, I ask them genuinely, how are you doing with this? I mean, how is this landing in your heart? And it amazes me how many times their first response is, good, you know what, I've forgiven them. I've forgiven them. And I'm just sitting there thinking, no, you haven't. Forgiveness takes time. Forgiveness takes a long time. You may have been convinced that the Christian answer is to say, forgiven, done, it's over, I'm good. But the reality of forgiveness takes years and years, and you feel it all the while. Second thing that we learn here from Joseph's moment is that bitterness is always lurking, always threatening to come back in and sour your heart towards the hurt. 
Bitterness is waiting to, to be reabsorbed and to absorb you. And so the question I'm wondering is, could it be that forgiveness needs to be reacknowledged over and over and over again? Could it be that we need to choose forgiveness every single day? Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying this is the way it works between us and God. Jesus really did pay for our sins on the cross. God really did forgive us once and for all. But you know, there's something very different about the heart of God and our heart. God's heart has not been soured by bitterness the way ours has. And so I think as long as bitterness exists in the world and our hearts are vulnerable to it, we've got to be taking hold of forgiveness every day and saying, you know what, I'm still feeling this and frankly, it still hurts. I'm going to choose forgiveness today. I know I chose it 20 years ago, but I'm going to choose it today. I'm going to refuse to let bitterness seep in and take over. And that is how we hold no grudges. No grudges. If you want to disarm the 500-pound bitterness bomb in your life, then you've got to forgive. And that means saying no to grudges. And it also means saying no to control. That's really hard for control freaks like me and like some of you. This week I read the story of Reuben Hurricane Carter. This is back in the 1960s. Um, he was called Hurricane because he was just this storm of punches as he was becoming this professional boxer. I mean, he was well on his way to fame and success in the boxing world until one day he was accused of a murder he didn't commit. He spent 19 years in prison as an innocent man. He spent those 19 years becoming a lay attorney, a legal expert, figuring out how to work out his freedom. And he finally got it 19 years later. And somebody asked him, Reuben, aren't you bitter? This was his answer. After all that's been said and done, the fact that the most productive years of my life between the ages of 29 and 50 have been stolen, the fact that I was deprived of seeing my children grow up, wouldn't you think I have the right to be bitter? In fact, it would be very easy to be bitter. But if I have learned nothing else in my life, I've learned that bitterness only consumes the vessel that contains it. And for me to permit bitterness to control or infect my life in any way whatsoever would be to allow those who imprison me to take even more than the 22 years that they've already taken. Now that would make me an accomplice to their crime. That's powerful. I mean, that's like supernatural powerful. Reuben could have been overcome with bitterness I expect he's probably still a strong dude when he got out of prison. He could have tracked down each of those people who were involved in the injustice of his imprisonment and made them pay, but he knew this. You know what? That's like gangrene. That's like an infection that's going to spread all over my body, and I'm just going to be a different kind of prisoner if I let bitterness take over. I'm going to be an accomplice to their crime. I'll be trapped in my own bitterness. And so what did he do? He gave up control of their outcome. 
That's really, really wise. It's really beautiful. It's really hard to do. When you've been hurt, think about it. Could you give up control over the hurt, the one who hurt you's outcome? Could you relinquish control over justice in that manner? All you have control over is actually your own heart and the amount of bitterness that you let live in your own heart. He knew that. That's why he forgave them. Anne Lamont is a recovering alcoholic. She's also a Sunday school teacher and also a New York Times bestselling author. This is how she defines forgiveness. Forgiveness means it finally becomes unimportant that you hit back. You're done. It doesn't necessarily mean that you want to have lunch with the person, but if you keep hitting back, you stay trapped in the nightmare. Just a quick aside, you see the distinction she makes between forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation is everything is close and back to normal like it used to be. You can forgive someone without being reconciled to them, and sometimes that is appropriate, especially when reconciliation means that you are setting up more patterns of abusive behavior, okay? Someone has abused you in the past. Forgiveness is something you've got to work out, but it does not mean you have to go and uh, live in that person's life again. It's okay to live separately in cases of abuse or other things that we can help you uh, as the leaders of this church sort out. But back to her main point, it's so important. Forgiveness means I, it finally becomes unimportant to me that I hit back. Because if I keep hitting back, I stay trapped in the nightmare. So I forfeit control over the outcome, which would be I get to hit you back. And I focus on the control that I have over my own heart. And in that way, forgiveness frees us from our pain, frees us from the bitterness that wants to trap us, frees us from the vicious cycle. And oh, is it a vicious cycle of always having to hit back anytime you're hit. Joseph's brothers visit him uh, after sending this mediator of forgiveness, and they throw themselves uh, before him. And what do they say? They say, Joseph, we're your slaves. Make us your slaves, right? And Joseph reassures them there in that moment, you know what, guys, the forgiveness that you saw all those years ago, that was real. Like, that's real forgiveness, verses 19 and 20. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. When we forfeit control over their outcome, what we're saying is, I am not in control of justice. Why? Because I'm not God. God is in control of justice. He can handle that. If I have to handle that, I'm going to mess it up because I'm too soured by the bitterness of being hurt. I'm not in control. He's in control. So I don't have to be. In counseling situations, uh, one of the questions that comes up a lot when we talk about forgiveness is this. Can I forgive someone who has never apologized to me? Can I forgive someone who's never asked me for forgiveness. 
I never noticed this until a few days ago in this passage. But did you know that when these brothers send the messenger to Joseph, this is the first time in 17 years that they've said, I'm sorry, will you forgive us? This is the first time, and they even do it through somebody else. This is the first time they've apologized. And they apologize relatively well. I mean, they use all the words you use in the Old Testament, minus one, for when you've done a really bad thing. Forgive us for the sins, the wrongs, the evil, the sins, again, same word. There, they do it. They do it well, but just think about it. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment, and you've lived around these guys. You've provided for them for the last 17 years, and you've not gotten an apology, as far as we know, until this moment. And yet, he had still already forgiven them. Some of you will never get the apology that your heart longs so badly to hear, and honestly, that you deserve. You'll never get it. One, one of the ways we like to grab control, and this, is, this can be healthy, is to say, look, you hurt me. And you put the other person in a position where they need to apologize. Like the socially acceptable thing to do is to say, I'm sorry for how I hurt you. Will you please forgive me? And you can get it that way. But it doesn't happen like that often, right? And let's be honest, some of the people who hurt you aren't alive anymore. Their life ended and you never heard, look, I'm so sorry about what I did to you. You never heard that. But you can still forgive them. You can still forgive them. This is leading us to grace, our third point. If you want to disarm the 500-pound bitterness bomb, You've got to forgive, which means saying no to grudges and saying no to having control over the process and justice. And it means saying yes to God's grace. What is God's grace? It's when we get what we don't deserve. Joseph's brothers, they deserved to be enslaved, right? Joseph should have said, yep, you're my slaves. I'm going to now treat you as carelessly as you treated me 39 years ago when you threw me in the pit and you sold me into slavery that's what you deserve. That's not what they got, is it? They got forgiveness and they got reconciliation. They even got Joseph to say, you know what, I'm going to care for you and your family. Just think of the affection involved in that in verse 21. Don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And then the text says, he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them, dripping with affection forgiveness, reconciliation. How? How in the world could Joseph do something like that? Where did Joseph find the power to give his brothers that sort of kindness and gentleness when what they really deserved was his wrath? Here's the key. Here's the reason you can forgive someone who's no longer alive and never asked you to forgive them. Forgiveness always involves two people. And one of those people is not the offender. Forgiveness always involves two people. One of those people is not the offender. The two people are you and God. Forgiveness is a work in your own heart that happens between you and God. It happens between you 
and God. The brothers appeal to God, right? They did that wisely, to the God of your father in verse 17. Well, what do we know about the God of your father, Jacob? We know that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in just a few chapters on into Exodus is going to introduce himself this way, that he is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's who that God is. And Joseph, the only reason he's able to forgive his brothers is because he has had an encounter with that God and has experienced the forgiveness of that God firsthand. Have you? Have you had that encounter with that kind of God? There's no way to forgive the people that you're thinking about right now. Not truly. There's no way to fight the bitterness that threatens your heart and will threaten your heart until the day you die unless you've had an encounter with that God. It's between two people. and It doesn't have to involve the offender. You and God. This is a picture of Anthony Hinton. Uh, you may have heard his name. It's become popular in the past few years. Uh, this is a real picture of the day that he was booked uh, for a murder that he did not uh, commit. There was incontrovertible evidence that he couldn't have committed this crime. This is 1985. He was working the night shift on the night of the crime uh, in one of those factories that when you work the night shift, they, they literally locked you in and you couldn't leave. It was impossible for him to be anywhere near the crime scene. And I don't know if it was in this moment or later or before, but he was protesting his own innocence. He's saying, no, 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 I didn't do this. There's a good thing there's a justice system in this country that will work in my favor. And one of the guys in that picture said this, I don't care whether you did or didn't do it. In fact, I believe you didn't do it, but it doesn't matter doesn't matter if you didn't do it. One of your brothers did, and you are going to take the rap. And before he knew it, he was convicted and living on death row. In my country, that's where you live in certain states uh, if you're going to receive the death penalty. Living on death row. 30 years later, okay? So like five or six years ago. 30 years later, he's finally freed and proven innocent without an apology, without compensation, at least as far as I know, from the government for having stolen 30 years of his life. And yet, somehow, bitterness does not control that man. In fact, the 500-pound bitterness bomb under his prison bed had been diffused by forgiveness. That man, he had forgiven that man and the others like him who were a part of this injustice. And when somebody said, Anthony, how did you do that? This was his answer. I forgive because I have a God who forgives. That's his answer. That's how simple and profound it is. I forgive because I have a God who forgives. Christian, you have a God who forgives through Jesus.
Joseph's brothers' instincts were right. They, they knew that they needed a mediator between themselves and Joseph. They just didn't know that there was already a mediator, Jesus, who had been working in the heart of Joseph all along, massaging into his heart his beautiful, forgiving grace. It was Jesus, the Son of God. It was the same Jesus who, as he is on the cross suffering, was offered a bitter vinegar wine sponge to drink from. That was a sample of the bitter cup of God's full wrath that Jesus would drink down on our behalf. Jesus on the cross, accused of a crime that he didn't commit, paying for the crimes of us that he didn't commit. Jesus on the cross didn't just come and defuse the 500-pound bitterness bomb. He threw himself over the bomb and he took the impact on our behalf so that you and I would not experience any of the wrath of God that we deserve. It's beautiful grace. We get affection when we deserve wrath. Jesus did all of that willingly because he loves you. Jesus did all of that Willingly, because he knew how much you and I needed forgiveness and he knew what it was going to take to accomplish it. Whatever has been done to you, I know it is bad. Please don't hear the church minimizing what has been done to you. But it pales in comparison to what you and I have done to our God. It really does. That's why our ability to forgive people in our lives is directly connected to the reality of forgiveness that we have personally experienced from God. If you can't forgive, it means you don't know how forgiven you already are. Like Anthony, we forgive because we have a God who forgives. Lord, we pray a courageous prayer that the people that we've been thinking about during this sermon who have hurt us, for whom we still harbor bitterness and grudges, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, work in our hearts so there's real forgiveness there, please. If you don't, Lord, we're in danger, and everyone around us is in danger. It's going to explode. Bitterness will overtake us and make us less human, destroy our relationships and ourselves. But would you please enter in, Lord, would you please heal us and remind us of your forgiveness for us through Jesus, that we would extend that to those who have hurt us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.